Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Mark Party, who has lived and worked in Las Vegas for over 20 years. In addition to a lengthy resume of musical theater shows and tours, Mark has played with numerous artists and projects live and in the studio in Las Vegas, New York before that, and his native England before that. He is currently on the Moulin Rouge National Tour. We have tons of Patreon content for you to check out, and you can get access to all of it for a buck a month. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer for video lessons, transcriptions, and bonus interview content from our former guests. Once again, a donation of $1 a month gets you access to everything at patreon.com slash working drummer. So Mark is just a consummate pro and has gotten busy everywhere he's lived. And it was interesting to hear how he just kind of followed work from London to New York to Las Vegas and how each of those places served him well for a specific time in his life and his career. So here we go. Hope you dig Mark party. How long have you lived here? Uh, I've been in Vegas since 04. And during that time, uh, have you been doing mostly touring like you're doing now with Cirque or has it been mostly shows locally? Um, I've done, it's been both. Yeah. You know, so yeah, um, I've not done any Cirque. It's always been um, Broadway. I came here, you know, with the whole Broadway West thing. Right. That happened around 2004. And so, so that, is, is that like sort of semi-permanent installations of Broadway shows in Vegas? They were permanent, yeah. yeah. And then several of them, you know, just like shows do, they open, they close. Some were short, some were long. Um, and then a lot of the time I would freelance here. But then I still have a lot of contacts in New York. So I tend to, you know, a good tour comes up if it's a first national or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's, it's probably been like 50-50, I suppose. Right. Yeah. And so, like, uh, you're on Moulin Rouge right now, and that's obviously not a first national tour. It's like a revival? Or? No, it's first national, yeah. How is it? I've been on it for two years. But I mean, started, yeah. Moulin Rouge is way older than that as a show. Did it just not tour after? Uh, it's Moulin Rouge opened pre-pandemic. Huh. Then there was the pandemic, and um, so they they postponed the tour uh-huh. for about a year, and then we opened. Wow. So yeah, it's the first national. Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking of the movie because the movie was so long ago. Oh yeah, no, but the, 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 the show's movie... only been out for. Four, four or five years. Okay, something and like that. The movie obviously predates the live show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had that. Yeah. I had that mixed up. Yeah. Um, so how's it going? Oh, it's great. It's the best show I've ever done. Really? It's, oh, it's a killer drum book. Really? Yeah. yeah. What is the drum you get book? You play really hard, and it's like heart rate <laughs> up. It's like doing a rock gig. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. The same. Same in in my chair. Yeah. But I don't think I wouldn't think of Moulin Rouge as that vibe. It's all pop tunes. It's all mashups. It's all uh, okay. It's all contemporary pop. Is it a jukebox really? treatment of? Yeah, basically. I see. Yeah. Okay. See, this is this is part of my education in the Broadway world. This yeah. is this is my first Broadway tour. I've uh, like I've played shitloads of shows right. over my career, but uh, like you know the Broadway sanctioned world of yeah. like on Broadway and the touring thing. Yeah, I'm still learning about it. I'm still getting hip to the shows that are out there, 
and uh, you know this sort of speaks to my ignorance of of like I assumed that uh, you know musically Moulin Rouge was going to resemble the movie, <laughs> which yeah. was the old sort of French cabaret thing. But you know yeah, it's not even nothing. on my radar that it's been completely reworked into like. A big ass rock pop show. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And the movie itself, that was all uh, a lot of pop tunes as well. So there's a few in there. I don't know. I I mean, I don't even remember the movie. I didn't, yeah, I, didn't, I saw it once. You know, years yeah, ago. like when it came out twenty yeah. something years ago. Right. But um, <clears throat> yeah, they've you know made it more contemporary. There's newer tunes in there. There's 170 composers. Wow. Yeah, so there's all these mashups, you know, and it's everything from the Stones to Adele and, you know, I don't even know some of the artists. I just know the tunes. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so this w- this was probably like the first, you know, major thing you did coming out of the pandemic, yes? Uh, I actually was, I was on the first national of Mean Girls. And okay. So that came back. And I went out with that for about five or six months, maybe five, something like that. And then this came up. And I mean, I'd, I'd known about this since pre-pandemic, you know. <clears throat> and so it was about sort of uh, reigniting it again, you know, talking to Michael Aarons, you know, Mike yeah. Aarons. I don't know him yet, but we're on each other's radar yeah. and, and it'll happen. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, he's the, the big guy in New York. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So I knew I was going to be it was going to be coming up and I was going to make the switch. But yeah, I very much wanted to do it because it was first national and you're working, you know, I worked in New York. It's just me the conductor at the start of all these things and you recreate the show yep. the same as it is on Broadway. And then there's all this cross-pollination, you know, there's actors from Broadway come on the tour and the tour go on Broadway, and, yep. you know. They're just the same thing really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so in terms of uh local work like you know sitting down on a show in vegas versus touring um have there been points in your career when i'm I'm sure there were points where you had a choice like i could do this show at home or i could do this show on the road um uh yeah there's definitely been moments like that yeah um i mean i guess to back up if i go back to when i moved from new york so i Actually, really, I should start with with when I moved to New York, which was in '95. Right. So I because like from from, from thirty thousand feet, from what I can see, the three major chapters of your career are London, New York, Vegas. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah. So, I mean, really, if I start at the beginning, you know, I was in. I'm from Bournemouth on the south coast of England, and uh, you know, I was playing since I was seven eight years old Mm. and really back then you know if you were going to have a career in music you've got to move to london it's not far away in u.s terms bournemouth to london is a couple of hours yeah and so i lived in london and i mainly played with artists i did a little bit of shows but really a lot of artists a lot of bands i was really in bands i didn't go to music school i um i just went came straight out of high school and i was just playing I was already gigging, you know. Right, just the typical sort of anything and everything. Yeah, that kind of thing. That a lot of us start out doing. Yeah, and I ended up playing for a lot of artists that would visit the UK, Motown artists. Oh, cool. Um, an artist called Helen Shapiro that I played with a lot there, and Phil Coulter, who's a big Irish star. So it was really touring artists, you know, and, and making albums for those artists as well. And then in 95, I had a, um, an opportunity... 
there was a singer that I worked with in Monte Carlo in the south of France. I lived there for about a year and a wow. half. Yeah, that was a great gig, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we it, it was an amazing time in my life. So I was maybe like 22, 23 then. And um, we had an English band and an American show came over and one of the singers in the show ended up getting signed to Columbia Records. And in 95, she said, well, do you want to come over and play in the band, you know? And I was also dating a girl in New York doing the long distance thing. So I thought, well, this is all meant to be, you know, I'm going to just move over. So I moved over in 95. And again, I wasn't involved in shows or anything. I was playing, I was doing a lot of sessions at Puff Daddy's place back when he was Puff Daddy, mm -hmm. P. Diddy. Um, and all studios all around New York. Um, and playing in bands, you know, and playing for artists, lots of singer-songwriters and that. And uh, so I'm telling you all this because this tells you how it came about going more into shows. Mm -hmm. So around 97, um, Lauren Hart was the singer that I was working with and was on Columbia, and it was, it was great. We were doing great gigs, opening for Hart and Bonnie Raitt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and long story short, she got dropped from the label after making a record. And at the same time, I split up with this girl I was with. And, uh, and you know, actually, my mother died at that point as well. It was a real, real tough, it was an awful time. Um, and I sort of was thinking, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to just go back, back to the UK and kind of rebuild it back there? And I made a couple of phone calls and I ended up on this tour of uh you know a lloyd webber tour joseph like a little non-union tour yeah you know joseph and the amazing that's it Code. yeah that I one i played that in high school yeah for a kid's production like i was a high school student and and it was like a community you know the cast was like 10 year olds oh yeah well it probably <laughs> probably wasn't much different to the one i did <laughs> so you know um so i did that and that just led more into doing shows i was still playing in bands still doing sessions in New York but that that led on to a better tour and a better tour and then I started subbing on Broadway and you know and here we are sort of 40 odd shows later right right and so I guess just the tag on that is I moved uh to Vegas um when um my wife at the time was pregnant and you know we we're having a son and we wanted more space and we we moved out here in 2004 and that was when there was this whole talk of broadway west you know they were bringing a lot of broadway shows into casinos in vegas right so um you know i came here and i did hairspray um and i did spam a lot uh for a year and a half or so and then i did lion king here for about three two and a half years that wow. ran so there was some Broadway stuff, but then it really uh, dissolved, to be honest, Zach, and really when the Smith Center opened where you're playing, yeah, uh, fantastic venue, when that opened, that became really like the Broadway house, if you like. Right. And so a lot of the shows, were, all the shows coming through would play there, and the casinos didn't start booking so many Broadway productions. Right. So, so this, they, like, there was this project for a while of casinos installing Broadway shows yeah. for, you know, a, a run of up to three years or, or more. Yeah, even more. Like, Mamma Mia had five years, I believe. Jersey Boys had seven. So there was definitely a little Broadway scene here. Right. And, I mean, I don't think it's completely over. They're, they're you know, rebirthing Jersey Boys coming up, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um 
and uh, you know there's there's talk of other shows coming in but it's definitely not the same sort of fertile scene within shows as as there was in New York right course, and with know. the Smith Center like you know all, all the places that we're playing you know all over the country are yeah. these kind of places that have like a subscription base and just tours are coming in and out that's right all yeah. the time yeah there's um, usually you know four shows a year a season or whatever right. yeah right um, so you came out here, uh, you know, sort of with the the promise or the hope, at least, of this um, Broadway West thing happening and being a part of it, and that did happen for a while. Um, but so was was there a point at which, when uh, you know, you saw you saw the sort of residential uh, show in the casino thing, Broadway West, start to uh fizzle out and you were like oh shit i'm gotta go on the road again yeah yeah i mean i can nail that down to a specific time i mean it, it happened over a long period of time i think the the shows there being less of that scene here shall we say mm -hmm. um but it was when we did hairspray which was you know when i got the gig i remember the contractor was uh, a wonderful guy called sam Lutfear, and i worked for sam a lot he's passed away now but um you know, I remember when I got the gig, he was like, oh, we need you here for at least the next four years. And I was like, great, that's what I want to do. You know, I've got mm -hmm. a kid. I want to stay home. And that show, I, mean, I think it was like four months mm -hmm. that we ended up doing. So um, <clears throat> right at the, you know, days before we got closing notice, I got a call from Howie Joins, who's another New York contractor who also sadly just recently passed away. But... Howie uh, asked me to do the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels first national tour and I turned it down and then I went into work at the Luxor two days later and it was like, hey, we're closing. And I didn't even stay for the closing meeting. You know, I walked out on the loading dock and I called Howie Joins and I was like, Howie, you know, is this still possible? So that was a specific point for me where I was going back out again and doing more road Mm -hmm. road work but I specifically wanted to do really the doing a first national or the where you get the longer stays yeah it makes it easier having a family you know totally. people coming backwards and forwards yeah, yeah so yeah okay so like um when 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 you were at this point like your show closed and and you sort of put yourself in line for more road work it, it doesn't sound like it was really an option for you to um do more of the Vegas shit because like you you came here in a specific lane right you came here in the musical theater lane um, but there's there's a ton of other stuff for a drummer to do in for Vegas sure. um, but you weren't interested in any of that like you wanted to stay in the musical theater lane even if it meant going on the road more um, no not exactly I mean yes I did move here with the promise of you know those shows being more abundant here, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, however, I've always seen myself, I mean, I play everything, you know, just like most of us. I've, I'm working, you know, recording. Um, I've done loads of the shows here. I've played with the artists, all the artists here. And, you know, I played with J-Lo and Donnie and Marie and the, the Righteous Brothers. And so I've done yeah. the gigging round, you know, and worked with Dave Perico's band. Dave Perico is a a really great trumpet player in mm -hmm. town who runs the Pop Strings, which is the Raiders band. Right, right. So, yeah, I do things like that. I love working for Dave. I love working for Lon Bronson. He's another great uh, contractor. And it's, it's another thing I'm realizing about Vegas is, like, 
there are, you know, there are the musical theater shows and there's, you know, party bands, wedding bands, all that kind right. of shit. But uh, I think especially in the last decade or two, correct me if I'm wrong, but like there are a lot of opportunities to play with big name artists. And it's not it's not like, uh, you know, that artist sort of hand picks you to play with them. Maybe it is sometimes, but there's like an ecosystem of four hire professional musicians and if so-and-so is doing a residency at so-and-so casino and they need a band and an orchestra and whatever then you know the local contractor kicks into gear and a band shows up with fucking lady gaga or whoever it is right uh, right and you get those opportunities to play with some of the biggest names ever yeah uh, uh, pepe jimenez is one of the percussionists he's one of the percussionists on our show for this week oh great and he just he just got doing got done doing something with Lady Gaga. With Gaga, Gaga so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, Pepe's fantastic, yeah. man. Pepe and was playing percussion with me on Lion King, and um, I, it, it, Pepe's one of the greatest drummers I've ever met. I love his playing. I got him and Rafael Torn oh, God, on percussion yeah. with me, and I am a pig in shit. It yeah. is the best those percussion books have sounded in a long, long time. I didn't know Rafael was in town, because I, I saw Raf... When I was in New York, actually, yeah. when I think I was rehearsing for Moulin Rouge. Right. And, uh, yeah, he's an old friend. He was also, th- those two guys were in the house playing percussion on Lion King. Cool. Yeah. I think uh, Raphael was touring with Lion King until recently. Correct, yeah, so, yeah. Um, oh, he's just a wonderful player as yeah, well. They're yeah, they're both the real just fantastic. Yeah. So good. Um, I, I got a, I got a fucking engine room now, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so great. It's great, man. Um, but we, we digress. So, like, in addition to the, the musical theater lane, you found yourself just in a bunch of the sort of the usual suspect Vegas gigs. Yeah, I did a bunch of that as well. And I guess, um, it, you know, in answer to your original question about, you know, continuing more with the Broadway stuff. I'm glad I mean, you remember my original yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I feel like it was never. I mean, honestly, playing Broadway was never something that I particularly. You know, I kind of fell into it in many ways. You I know? think a lot was, of people do. Um, you know, I I I kind of fell into it also, and I happened to like it. Yeah. You know, um, but I you know at, I wasn't at an early age saying. I want to play Broadway shows. Yeah. And I think more and more younger drummers now are saying that. That's exactly right, man. And and it's like, because now people are going to school for that specifically, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, yeah. you know, for me, it was just something, it, it was really, you know, another, I just always wanted to play. So, yeah, I'll play a show. And then I found out I like doing it. I like the challenge of playing lots of different styles. Um yeah, and I've come to really love it. I like the coming together of, you know, cast, crew, band, creating this thing out of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, but yeah, I didn't, it wasn't a specific goal. And now it's become something I, I really love. I really enjoy it. Um, also, you know, just in a practical sense, just being a musician with a family, you know, I have three kids mm-hmm. now, and, uh, you know, I really need to have, regular work yeah it's not like when i was a younger man and i could you know have a lean week and then you know um so it and it keeps up the health insurance and all those things that you need you know so um there are there are pros and cons to it but like once once you get to a certain level doing musical theater work is some of the best paying and some of the steadiest work that you can hope for (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> really. And it's super rewarding, like musically as well, if you're with the right people, like you yeah. were talking about Raf and, and Pepe. And, you know, the particular band that I'm playing with right now on Moulin Rouge is like, this is a great band. We travel the whole band. Yeah. So it's a really tight unit yeah. and uh, just wonderful people, great players. So, yeah, if you get in the right situation, it can be really rewarding, really gratifying. Like anything else, you've got, like, you'll understand the challenges of playing the same thing. You have to find your moments that, you know, the, you, hopefully you're on a show where you can stretch a little bit. Yep which I can definitely do on this. So there's always, you know, I don't know, 15% of the show you can change every night, you know, right. maybe a little more, I don't know. Right, right. Um, it's probably a little less for me, but there yeah. is there is some, yeah. some room, and there's, you know, there's kind of a communication between uh, the band and the cast, but I think especially me and the cast. Yeah. Like, I th and I think it's true in, in most shows. Like, the drums and the cast really talk to each other yeah and can yeah. really affect each other yeah um it reminds me of like uh, uh buddy rich gave an interview where he was talking about like in a big band it's the drummer's job to be the, like the source of energy and the fire under the band's ass so that he the way he put it was like you have to get these guys to play above their heads right right <laughs> yeah and i feel the same thing with with a with a cast yeah, because like what what I do can, you know, give them the the energy and the fire to kick it into sixth gear. That's when that is so to. astute that you're saying that, and so on the money. People don't talk about this very often, but it's something that I like to talk about with playing drums within musicals, and it really makes a difference. And I know it makes a difference to the cast on stage. Yeah, I'm sure you you know I've had them talk to me. They feel it when you change something, mm -hmm. just something some some fill you give it a bit of extra extra fire yeah you know they're on a tired matinee or something it's like oh wow they've they get some yeah some kind of energy there yeah um, and it doesn't always have to be like a fiery drummy thing it can be like just an extra sound that, that sure. adds to a piece of choreography that yeah like you change up your orchestration a little bit and they're like they're doing this choreography and they hear you doing it with them and they're like oh shit Cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? right. That's right, man. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely very connected like that. How old are you? I'm 55. Okay. Um, I, I, I have... Close uh, my hi-hats there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can hear them resonating. I have a couple of questions for you that, that are basically just for me. They're going to be instructive for me about... <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, my, this, like I said, this is the first tour that I've been on. And there's so much about it that's awesome. Being away this much is tough. So, yeah. you know, my, my wife and I are, are kind of in constant conversation about, like, am I going to want to do another one? Am I yeah. going to want to do another one right away? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm 43. And, you know, my <laughs> I think my wife literally said a couple of weeks ago, like, you're not going to want to be doing this when you're 55. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, but here you are. Yeah. Right? Um, so... Uh, there, so, like, I, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on that, like how you feel yeah. out on the road yeah. at your age. Not that, I mean, you're obviously vital. You're not old and decrepit, but you're 12 years older than me. Yeah. Uh, and so, and the other thing is um, when it comes to your identity as a drummer and the kind of drumming you give a shit about and the kind of drumming that makes you feel like yourself, what's the calculus? Like, how do you balance... Um, you know, taking advantage of opportunities yep. versus making sure you're in a situation that really suits you, that you're right for. Yeah, God, those are great questions. 
Yeah. Because I when when you know we mentioned younger younger drummers who's like it's like their goal to be musical theater drummers. Yeah. And for them, especially the younger ones, it's like I don't care what show it is. Exactly. I don't care what the drum yeah. book is. I want to be part of this world. This is what I want to do. And that's all well and good. But for me, I'm I'm not going to be out here with just any show. Exactly. So yeah. how do you how do you think about those things? Right. Well, well, first of all, and they are really good questions. Um, as far as touring and yeah, maybe I didn't picture myself like really touring now. Um, the pandemic had a lot to do with that mm-hmm. because uh, my wife had a show that was here in town that didn't come back. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, I had to go out and work. Um, uh, it changes. The first thing I'll say about that is it changes on how old you are. So like you're saying, if you're, if you're 22 and you're going out on a tour and you're hanging out in bars every night, that's exactly what you should be doing, you know? <laughs> right, right. And it's just, it's very different for me now. You know, I have three kids, um, you know, I'm, I'm happily married. I love being with my wife. So it's a, a lot harder to be away. You know, years ago, I, I enjoyed just being away it was fine right. you know so it definitely changes as you get older you know right now there is a certain amount of it is it's like this is what i have to do for my family you know mm-hmm. um but then on to the second part of your question um it does have to be something that i specifically want to play mm-hmm. you know and this particular show is is so within my wheelhouse i get to play you know, I get to play groove. I get to play hard. Uh, you know, uh, y- y- there's there's chops in it. You know, so there's there's stuff to keep you interested. Right. So definitely, it has to be the right kind of show. You know, you don't want to go out with Oklahoma or something. Right. I think against I've done Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, I've used the kid. same example. Yeah. Like, right. You, you know, know, if I'm, I'm going to be away from home and doing this eight times a week, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be something good. Yeah. And, and then it is very hard. It's interesting you said like about your your own identity and what fires you up as a drummer, you know. And mm. I'm still like, I'm you know writing music with my wife. Um, I've still always been in bands. Even when I've done these tours, I've always kept bands going. I've been in this band from originating in Brooklyn when I was in New York uh, since you know '96, mm-hmm. and still you know we make records. We've done songs for movies um, right you know we were on a movie that that, that, that uh, got the academy award uh, a few years back so we've you know we, i'm trying to keep other things going <clears throat> excuse what me. movie was that i saw that on your it bio. was spotlight right yeah god what a fucking movie that yeah, was it was a great movie not not really known for its soundtrack but you know no <laughs> nobody's running out for the soundtrack to spotlight you know <laughs> check this out <laughs> really you know i mean you know it's not um but uh, it was, you know, it was an honor to get something in there. Yeah. Um, but so that that's to try and keep your sort of musical soul going. I've always kept other things going. Now that becomes harder and harder with a, with a show like I'm doing right now because I've been out on this one probably longer than I've done anything, really. Yeah. Uh, it's almost two years I've been doing this now. Right. So I come back and I sort of hurriedly try and get together a little recording project or maybe even do a gig somewhere. I've come back and done gigs with Dave Perico, who I mentioned earlier on with the pop strings. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's definitely a challenge, man. That's definitely a challenge. I try and go in every day and warm up. Warming up's more important to me now than it used to be. I never used to really warm up. who are you telling? (laughs) This this is the most physically challenging thing I have ever done. Oh. Just 
full stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Which is great, right? That's yeah. a great thing. I mean, I feel like, it, the, like the drums keep me healthy, yes. you know? Yeah. They, they really do. I mean, the drums, they keep me like mentally healthy as well. You know, right. I feel better around my drums. Right. And it's, um, the, it's the sort of existence where, like, it, it's not about willpower. It's like you don't have a choice. Yeah. Like, if you don't take care of your body, you're going to die on the show. Like, yeah, you're not yeah. going to be able to play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that kind of goes back to when I was saying about touring when you're younger. Yeah. Maybe you can tear it up right. a little bit more. You're not really thinking so much of the future. I mean, now I just got to got to eat right, got to sleep right, got to take care of yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that is, that's a big challenge right now is to try and keep that little, you know, musical soul alive inside. So uh, I'm going to be trying to, well, I've got some time off this week. I'm going to try and do something else as well. Yeah. So. Are you only home for one week? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's such a challenge for me to sort of engage with anything in, yeah. in that amount of time. Like once yeah. in a while we'll get, you know, we've had one two week break and one three week break. Um, but like, if you're only home for a week, it's like, what, you know, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't even know what's going on in this town anymore. That's like, who right. do I call? I get, you know, yeah. it's, it's too late. If I haven't lined up something to do while I'm still on the road, you know, by the, when you get home, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just yeah. rest up. Yeah. You know, sit on the porch. Don't I? You know, my my approach when I'm home is just to like rest as much as possible. Connect with my wife. Connect with a couple friends and family. But as far as like keeping other music shit up, I'm like I'll worry about yeah. it when this is over. This tour is over in March. I will you know sort of re-engage with the city of Atlanta at that time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And see what's what. Um, but if, if this is something that I'm going to continue to do, then. You know, keeping keeping that other stuff going to whatever extent possible is something I'm gonna have to get better at because yeah. on this tour, it's been all ain't too proud all the time. There has been virtually no other music happening. Yeah. Um. You know, for me, um, and I just felt it necessary to just sort of like go all in with this show. Yeah. Um. But that's not completely necessary for everyone all the time yeah yeah and it's hard as a drummer as well like because you know as a guitarist or you know keyboard player i mean you can record in your hotel room right. you know it's uh it's uh, it's hard to sort of do that get recording projects going while you're away and stuff like that yeah. Um, I just try and keep in touch with the people. Really, these days, r rather than the hustle, it's more people that I really, you know, like to work with and yeah. keep in touch with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, once sometimes when you're in these things, you, you're just in it. You yeah. know, you know, you're in your little microcosm. You know, in your little box. Yeah, in your little literally. Box. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Are you are you isolated in the pit? Or are you in a it, trap room? Or like, what do they got you yeah, doing? It, sometimes I'm always isolated. They carry a little. It's actually almost the size of this. It's yeah. a pretty big. Probably the uh, same model studio. I got. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's been pretty pretty comfortable actually in there you know better than the usual tiny little box um but yeah that's another thing you know you can get very isolated and get very alone you've got to make make sure you walk into the pit and connect with everyone you know yeah hey we're gonna make some music together you know yep. and try and uh, try and be a positive force on the road and try and you know try and show that i mean fully engaged you know yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and it's it's tough to stay, f you know, fully engaged on the road and fully engaged at home. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, you kind of got to do both, especially like I don't have kids, but I'm married. Yeah. You know, you're married with kids and and you know, what we're doing out here is in service to the life at home. Yeah. You know, um because that's that's the point. Like Yeah. I, I this is the biggest coolest thing I've ever done and I'm having a blast, but I can't lose sight of the fact that like back there is why I'm doing it and back there is where I'm going back to when this little adventure is over. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah, so you know, back to your original question, you know, how do how do you do that kind of this age and everything and being yeah. married? I mean, we try really hard to uh we learned that not having the next time we're going to see each other booked booked in mm -hmm. is a bad idea you know we're just like yeah we'll, we'll, we'll book the next time real soon and then a couple of weeks go and then it's like it's just hard to connect so much yeah um so we it's, try and really do it every three weeks or so we right. try not to go more than three weeks i think and it's easy seeing to, each other it's very easy to connect on a on a superficial level like if yeah. you're just doing texts and calls back and forth about just like daily logistical shit that's very easy, but like really connecting and being a part of exactly. each other's lives in the way that you do when you're home, yeah. like that's hard, and yeah. that takes intentionality. Because otherwise, you're just talking about the bills, right. you know, and you're talking about problems with the car, or you know, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, it, that's a that's a challenge, and you know, and. Uh, I like being with my wife. You know, there's yeah, lots of people that enjoy having that time <laughs> apart. Yeah. But I'm just not not like that anymore. So that's a, that's a real challenge for for me, for her too. But uh, we made it work really well at the start of this tour because it was long stays. I was a lot of West Coast. It was a lot of San Francisco and LA, mm -hmm. and um, so it wasn't too difficult. But it it got a lot harder when I went back east so now we're trying to do this kind of three week thing you know don't go more than three weeks without seeing each other you know without seeing each other in person yeah so like either you'll be home or she'll come yeah so i'm taking a little break in december i'm gonna come back cool um we're getting to that stage now where i can sub out you right. know i have a couple of guys that can play it right and uh that so you know I mean, you still got to keep paying the bills, so you know you got to balance that out. But, right. You know, if you I'm don't play, to... you don't get paid. It's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm trying to take a couple more breaks where I can. Yeah. You know. Does this tour have an end date? No. It's just one no, of those no. that's. Indefinite. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely through till early 25. Wow. So, and I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't have any plan to to move on right now. But if there were another production of it, I might like to move on to that. Mm -hmm. um, it's also uh, sort of circling back to you talking about, you know, what you're playing. You know, I did have an offer of something else that I didn't really want to do because it's just so nice playing this particular show I'm on now. Mm -hmm. um, I also know that the the drums on this show I'm doing now are very, it's totally audible. You know, a lot of these yeah. shows, everything gets buried in the mix. You're sweating your ass off in there yeah. and like... And then people see the show, oh, I didn't, didn't really hear that, you know. Yep. And um, so it's pretty gratifying. I mean, maybe this is a little, you know, the ego at work. But it's nice to know that everything I'm playing is heard out there. Yeah. You know, it's a great sound design. Uh, it's a big sound package. And uh, so to leave this show, would, it would have to be something, you know, really special, something uh, 
that was really going to fire me up. Yeah, it, it, one of the, you're mentioning one of the things about musical theater, and I think Broadway in particular, that I'm ambivalent about, which is that it's so vocal heavy in in yeah. so many cases, um, and you know, so so in a, in addition to like you know what is. When I'm looking at a show and I'm trying to figure out, you know, would I want to do this? It's like, okay, what's what's the music? That's that's first and foremost. Is it an electronic drum set? Yes. No. Gone. Yeah. Like that is a disqualifier for me, yeah. and that's perhaps inflexible in myopic on my part. But I don't want to play a fucking e kit for yeah. a day, let alone a year. Yeah. So that disqualifies it. But then, like the other thing I'm starting to think about is like, I wanted I want to see and hear this show from the house. And apart from whatever the nuts and bolts of the drum book are, like, what does this show sound like? Yeah. And what is really my role in this? Exactly. And if nothing I'm doing is really going to be heard or perceived, then what the fuck am I? (laughs) I mean, I'm 100% with you with all those things you said, you know, and right down to the E kit. You know, I've done a couple of tours playing V drums. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to know them and how to program them real well. And I just, it's still, I can't enjoy it. You know, <laughs> I can't, you know, it's all yeah. just, yeah, it's just weird yeah. bells and whistles and shit. Right. And so like if, if you know, if really investing in um, uh, more Broadway work is going to require me to be open to that, then I, I might end up turning away from it. I might yeah. just, well then like, if that's the direction Broadway is going, then it's, it's not for me. I just, I want to play real drums. Yeah. Well, I do feel as you get older in your career that you start to perhaps weed out the things you don't want to do. Oh, that's and, the and, entire and, process. It's right. the process of elimination. And it's, <laughs> and it's nothing of, of, of being condescending or looking down on any people that would do those gigs. Right. Or Because, you know, I've done all those gigs myself. It's, for instance, you know, I mean, I did a cruise ship when I was 21, mm. just for three months. That is know? the age to do a cruise ship. I had three months and I was done, you know. Mm. I don't want to do cruise ships. Um, that's not, like, my my goal. And the same was, you know, 20-odd, 25 years ago with playing weddings and things, you know. And and there's great wedding bands. You can do great gigs like that. But I just didn't really want to do that anymore. No, you get shit Um, out of your system. Like, you you say yes to anything and everything, like we were saying, in in the interest of getting experience and making a little bit of fucking money. Yeah. But at a certain point, you start looking at certain things and just saying no. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to or no, that's not me. Yeah. Like, I'm a square peg and that's a round hole, so no. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just this process of, of elimination until... Yeah, it's uh, gaining some maturity in, in the and also knowing what you're good at right. and what, totally. you know, maybe is some, for someone else to do, you yes. know. Yes, yes. Um, so, and I quite like that weeding out process and being more more selective and it seems to me that the more you do that, the right gigs seem to come your way, yep. you know, instead of you going and suffering on something that you really don't want to be doing. Yep. The more yeah. you're the more you're intentional about the kinds of gigs and music that, that you know you're good at and that you know you like, um, like you said, the more that'll come your way because you start to be more known for it. Like yeah. as opposed to being known as a guy that can just do anything and everything. It's like no, this he's in a more specific box, and when we need that box, we'll call him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems to come around. Yeah, like that. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think, and then you you hone down the things that you're really good at as right. well. You know. Yeah, so. absolutely. So you've lived in London, New York, and and Vegas, and just apart from the 
the you know the drumming that went on in those towns. Um, one of the things I, I like to talk about is is how where you live uh, sort of is is hand in glove with how happy you are in your career and whether or not you find sort of a home and a lane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, L- L- London, New York, and Vegas are three very different places with three very different lifestyles. I would imagine there's more similarity between New York and London. Yeah. But just in terms of like the price of admission yeah. for each of those towns yeah. and, and sort of the, the, the benefits and challenges that came with each one of those. Um, just talk a little bit about, about those three yeah. places. Well, um, London, London for me at that time, so that would be from when I was about 18 to when I was about 27 that I was in London. Heady time. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> that that was a great time. I was, um, like I said before, I was working for a lot of different artists. Um, so, you know, I was working at the BBC studios. Um, I was, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I, w- I would be touring with someone like Helen Shapiro, uh, doing live bra- radio stuff, doing albums. Um, and playing places like London Palladium, it was it was nice kind of high end tours, yeah. you know. Same with Phil Coulter, same with the Crystals. Um, so it was good, and there was there was never anything where I was really in something for a long time. You know, I was a young man. I was doing these tours would be a month, you know, and uh, and then I'd be back just gigging around, you know. Um, my living situation there, you know, I was young. I had a place in the Isle of Dogs, which is in the Docklands. There's a place called the Isle of the Dogs? The Isle of Dogs, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it almost looks like an oxbow lake going in the Thames. Oh, man. Apparently, I don't know if it's true, but that's, it was called that because Henry VIII used to keep his hunting dogs there or something. I love but it's this really, shit. But it's really the Docklands, right? right? Okay. It was regenerated in the 80s. And so I had a nice little place there, but... Um, you know, it's a lot of driving in traffic, and yeah. that's what it was for me there. And, you know, I don't know how it is now to be a musician there, but that was a big challenge, you know, gigging-wise. Yeah. Always trying to find where to park. It's probably like an L.A. vibe or something. Yeah. A lot of carrying gear around. Um, but it was a really good time. It was, a, it, you know, I've nothing but good things to say about being in London that mm-hmm. gets a bit gray for a few months of the year, you know. Um, New York then from 95 to 2004 was um i lived right in hell's kitchen for a lot of the time which was great because i've lived in the in isle it. of dogs and hell's yeah, kitchen that's it man yeah. what, what neighborhood is this in vegas <laughs> this is just vegas <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we need to come up with a new new name yeah. for it yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, the the time in in New York was it was really exciting. I felt like, and in many ways, New York for me uh, felt like my music school. Mm. So I was just, I was very young. I just wanted to, I just wanted to play all the time. You know, never said no to anything. And I learned so much in New York, and I think it really leveled up my my playing. Yeah, you know, and I realized, wow, I got a lot to keep up with here and mm-hmm. it, that was almost like my my music school if you like yeah um so it, it, i was playing in a lot of bands i was playing down on bleaker street a lot right um i was i was still playing quite a lot of jazz back then i i, I like playing jazz i don't 
consider myself a jazz drummer. I don't think I'd even take a jazz gig anymore. <laughs> I've got like Broadway jazz right. now. You know. <laughs> but it was being there, just you know, just being around the kind of people that have lived that music. You know, was was really influential on me people like al foster yeah got to hang out with al foster a little bit i love al foster's playing yeah um so i was doing all, all that kind of stuff but it was very much like that in your face new york the minute you go out of your apartment you know kind of struggling with humanity there <laughs> so <laughs> so then the next phase i guess is here from 2004 and that's more like you know here i have a house and a pool and all those nice things that you can afford here in vegas so right. like lifestyle wise it's a nice place to be it's kind of a, affordable yeah i can sort of uh, live a lot better here i think than than i could in pre those for sure either of those previous two cities yeah, yeah so and then gigging wise here the thing that like the show's been great there's great players here you know i have so many close friends here of course now i've been here a long time um but i found the, the the thing is, my whole life I've been involved in original music. You know, lots of singer-songwriters, lots of lots of women with guitars. You know, and and I love doing that stuff. I love taking someone's song and working on it, making hopefully making it better. You know, mm -hmm. and um, and I found less of that here. You know, I remember moving here and going, oh well, I'm going to go and find what the kind of Bleecker Street scene is here right. or whatever. You know, where I can go and like gig with bands and and it just didn't. I, I just didn't really find it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It was very much more like people just wanting to work, you know, gig, 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 gig. Right. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I'm sure there is a scene here, but I never really found it, you know. So what I've done with original music here is really create it with, with people I know here. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it does exist here, like in, in talking to, uh, you know, some other musicians who live here, it it does exist, but it's it's not the point. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not why you come here. I think it, you know exactly. It exists to the extent that um, the people like you who are here for a you know a, a specific reason, which is to fucking work. Yeah, you know, get a little bored or a little frustrated or a little unfulfilled, and it's like, okay, let's let's do something else. Yeah. let's get something else going. It's not like there's an ecosystem of original music the way there is in Austin or Atlanta or right. Chicago or, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, um, I, I feel that way about Nashville and LA too, because, uh, you know, a, a lot of technically original music comes out of those cities, but it's, they're just very much industry cities. Like yeah. that is the music industry. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. if, if you don't want to work in the music industry, then you you might have a hard time there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a judgment call. I think it's probably truer about L.A. than it is about Nashville because I think, uh, on balance, I have more respect for a lot of the music that's coming out of Nashville than I do L.A. Um, but like when you look at Vegas, it's like there 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 isn't any music coming out of vegas like there's yeah. music coming to vegas so that the people in vegas can see the music <laughs> yeah i think that's very true and i mean obviously there's bands that come out like the killers came out of here sure. but yeah, yeah. i was like where do these people play you know, like, <laughs> you know it's, right. they weren't at caesar's yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they weren't playing in the lounge <laughs> so 
Yeah, I I don't know. And it, one of the things about here as well is that I, I very much got that feeling that people kind of locked into their gigs, you yeah. know? And that was definitely true in the Cirque world. It was like those guys would play the shows and there was no subbing. You know, they'd run a track if if they were out. They'd run a track of them playing. Wow. And, um, so your sub was a computer? Yeah, there was no there was no subbing That's for a while. Wild. There's subs on, on Cirque shows now, but it's... It's still not the same sort of thing as the really, I'm not even saying it's right or wrong, but what I was used to was the kind of fertile New York scene or the London scene where, you know, you get your show and then the whole point is to get your subs trained up. <laughs> so you can go out and do, you know, you only have to play 50%, right? So right. you'd go out and do other stuff. But here, I mean, honestly, right across the board, I just didn't see anybody going out and doing other stuff. They'd lock into a gig. And that'd be it, you yeah. know. And that was very foreign to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's definitely that more of that vibe here. Uh huh. Um, whereas still, you know, New York still operates in that same that same way. You get your subs in, and then guys like Jared, who's playing, you know, who originated the Moulin Rouge book, is a killer drummer, and um, you know, very thankful to him for creating such an interesting drum book. You know, Jared. What's his last name? Shunig. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And make sure I said that right. <laughs> uh, he'll call me off if I said it wrong <laughs> but um, yeah he's he, he's such a great player but he's always doing other stuff you know Yeah. so he still has the gig but you sub out so yeah. and uh, yeah obviously circling back around to touring that's a really hard thing with that because you're the only guy really it's a lot easier for other people to sub in and out than, yeah. than you you know Yeah. Um, so that's something I try I try and get people in just so I can actually if there's something else that I can take off and I can go and do something else and keep myself sort of musically alive or you know keep my my home life together yeah you know yeah you but, mentioned um, like you know tracks and automation and stuff and, and you know one of the the next big fight for the musicians union as it pertains to Broadway is is that like how you know how much of this music is going to be performed by humans and how much of it is going to be programmed right um and uh, you know i think we're we're winning it so far but is that battle playing out in vegas on these shows um you know honestly in vegas most of the work is non-union which is another really? reason that i end up doing the touring work i mean i would say I, I don't even know what is under a union contract anymore here. Wow. So casinos don't have union contracts. When I've done the Broadway shows here, it's been under a union contract. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a right-to-work state, so, you know, it's very hard for the union to actually that make these relationships. That surprises me because yeah. I thought, uh, I mean, they all used to be union gigs, obviously, but, like, the, you know, the shows in the casinos, all the Cirque shit, you know, the, the Beatles yeah, Cirque's shit. Cirque's not, not union. No. Yeah, but like, I, I thought of Vegas, even to this day, as one of the union strongholds for the Musicians' Union, but it's not. No, it's not. Wow. And it, Yeah, so it's really this right-to-work thing, and... Um, and you know there was a strike in the 80s and, yeah. and and after that really all the the contracts seemed to dissolve so um you know the union's still sort of fighting to get the get contracts and they're trying to find ways around it but it, it it's not the same as the gigs that you and I are doing right yeah. now on the road yeah um so that's another that's a very big reason for you know because some of the shows will come in and they you know they pay less than 50% of what I would make on the road. Yeah. Know? Wow. So, um, so yeah, that's a big, big part of it. 
Man. with the shows here. I was reading your, your bio, looking at your website, and it says you're an endorser for IOT. And my initial reaction was like, is, is IOT still a thing? Are <laughs> well, they still that around? should probably be updated. Well, and here, yeah. like, lo and behold, we're sitting next to this just, you know, beautiful cherry red IOT kit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, what's the story? Well, the story with that is that probably shouldn't say I have an endorsement with them because I don't, like, I have no contact with them at all. I don't even know what's going on with them now. But at the time when I got the kit, I had it at an endorsement deal. Okay. And I've never really, I mean, I've had this kit now since, yeah, 20 years. I love love this kit. I have a couple of other drums that go on it as well. Um, Yeah, I love these drums. Um, but really, the, the endorsements that I have are more, you know, the practical. I've been with Sabian for 13 years now. Yeah, I've been with them and, about four, maybe. Oh, yeah. Four or five. The Sabian are the greatest. Yeah, they, they've been wonderful. Them. I was with Zildjian for a little bit before. And then Promark, and then, of course, because D'Addario owns yeah. Promark, then you, Evans, and um, I, I'm really grateful for those endorsements. You know? What drums are you playing on the road? I have this Pearl kit that uh-huh. is the best kit. It might be my favorite kit I've ever played, other than perhaps this one. Um, when when they started the show, you know, they, they buy all new gear, right? The show owns the kit. And uh, they put me in touch with this guy, Serge, at uh, Pearl, who's the A&R guy. And he was so cool. He started off with, like, well, what drums do you like? And I was like, well, man, I, I really like Gretsch drums, you know? I don't want to hurt your feelings or anything. And he was like, oh, man, we got these new Gretsch-style shells. They're maple gum maple. And so we had this, I think it's a master's kit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he did it in a nice fancy red finish for the show. And they sound fantastic, man. I love that drum set, you know. So it's really nice to go to work every night and really, you know, we get comments out of the soundboard about how good the drums sound. I mean, when do you ever get that on a Broadway show? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's, yeah, I love those drums. It's great. And they're all Sabians. and Right. Yeah. I'm also playing a Pearl kit um, on the Ain't Too Proud Tour. It's a it's a Pearl um, reference pure. Oh, yeah, I've played those. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're really beautiful, extremely well-made drums would not be my first choice for this show yeah but they were kind of installed on the tour by my predecessor and it was like well just you know fucking play them yeah yeah um but they yeah they sound they sound good um but uh they're heavy though man god they weigh a fucking ton those drums man i had them on lion king i was like i would not want to move those things and they (sighs) they're amazing drums but i've got to say that like the trouble i had was you know, all the shells on the toms are made of different woods uh-huh. and different thicknesses, and I get the concept, but I could never get that nice, like, everything feeling like it matched, you know, just yeah. up and down the toms. Well, I think, and that's kind of what they're going for, is like this, you know, uh, I, I think the idea uh, is that, um, the you know, the sizes of the drums... Um, intrinsically have like different tonal properties right just because of the size yeah so they're kind of engineering different woods and different thicknesses to compensate for those differences so that like you said you get that same tone from yeah from top to bottom on the kit i'm playing i think they've achieved that right uh whether or not they always achieve that i don't know but like is, is it really necessary to 
go to such lengths to yeah yeah i don't know man um i don't know it's hard isn't it but yeah. we sound like spoiled kids now i mean they're totally. amazing drugs absolutely reference pure <laughs> but, but it's like you know that i felt a bit like that playing them but i've got to say these ones i'm playing now I, i'm way more happy with they really sing they're they're, they're great drums right. well it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like the kind of player you are and how when you're on a show you know like obviously you want to do everything you can to end up on a show that fits you and yeah. and that you fit into well from a stylistic musical standpoint but then there's the drums themselves and uh, you know it's it's not that i'm looking forward to this tour ending and it's not that i don't like these drums but i am looking forward to getting on drums that suit me better because yeah. i feel yeah, like yeah. i've been i've been wrestling with these drums like me and these drums have been in like a, a little bit of a brawl and I'm winning. <laughs> I'm happy. They sound good. They feel good. But I'm just like, you yeah, motherfuckers. Every yeah. time I step into that booth, I'm like, all right, you bitch. Let's go. <laughs> so, I like, love it, you man. know, whether it's on another show or just, you know, subsequent gigs after this, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to my drums and, yeah. you know, getting some, some new drums that, that uh, are more in line with, you know, how. <laughs> you know who, who's the king of all this this stuff that we're talking about? Have to give a big sort of mention, big shout out to Jeff McPherson. Do you mm, know him? I don't. Mackie, everyone calls him Mackie. Um, he's a great drummer, you know, a real hard hitting rock drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Canadian guy, super, super guy. But just what we're talking about, the drums you're playing on the road. I mean, Mackie made a decision at some point, I think, that he's like, fuck this, I'm playing my shit all the time. Uh-huh. And so he plays, he plays this massive kit that's like, You'd play with nine inch nails or something. You know, he's got a 26 inch kick drum. Fuck. You know, he's got a, I don't know, his first, his rack tom looks like the size of my floor tom. <laughs> sort of like flat here, mm-hmm. you know. And, and he uses his drums and he gets his sound the way he wants to play, you know. And I kind of, I really admire him for, for doing that, you yeah. know. And I mean, he makes it work as well. It might seem incongruous that he, you know, he's playing. He's out in Frozen right now, and he's playing Let It Go with his John Bonham bass drum. Wow. But I think, uh, you know, evidently he makes it work really yeah, well. So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you can do yourself a lot of favors in terms of your musical director and the sound designers and your, your yeah. A1 and all these people who are sort of like in charge of the overall sound. You know, if you sort of ingratiate yourself to those people and uh, oh my god totally don't make any enemies there you know yeah. they'll, they'll give you a lot of latitude to sort of like shape the drum sound yeah uh, to your liking I mean here's the thing we're all on the same team you know we just had a sound t- our sound crew just switched over but we had these two great guys Wes and Keith and th- to me they're just like members of the band you know and their goal is we're all on th- we've all got the same goal right we want to make it sound great right yeah and those guys were just absolutely fantastic. I mean, they're just worth their weight in gold, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, who else did you mention? So there's the sound crew, but, uh, you know, also the people that are moving your shit around. Yeah. You know, just just be nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, ask ask questions. Don't make demands. Yeah, yeah. Even if you, like, you can put a demand in the form of a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't always get it right, but I try real hard. But yeah. you know, um, yeah, the, you've got to 
realize everybody's on the same playing field, you know, because sometimes people can go in with like, you know, what are they trying to do to my sound, you know, and I right. don't think anybody's intentionally trying to sabotage you. For we're sure. We've got to work together. you got to be willing to give a little bit like even if you're playing your drums with your sound like the show still has needs exactly and you yeah can, you can play your drums with your sound while still meeting the needs of the overall show yeah and if you're not willing to meet those needs that's where you're gonna have a problem yeah exactly yeah that comes a lot with like you know symbol choices i've like you know a whole bunch of symbol bags full out there so the the right symbols for the gig even the right sticks, you know, I change sticks a lot that I don't really even, I don't tell anyone, but I have some maple sticks that if I'm doing a lot of cross stick, I just like the sound better, huh. you know, so sometimes I'll put a maple stick in my left hand for just cross stick, cool. you know, just, to, and I feel like that, like, art is in the details, right? So This is a great example know. of how, like, Broadway drumming can be so detail oriented. And when oh, yeah. you play the show 400 times, you're still honing the sounds and the parts totally. and the and you know it's it's not anything that the average audience member is going to notice it's just like an extra thing that you can say like i'm i'm still paying attention i'm still trying to get this right yeah <laughs> and i and i'd like to believe that that comes through in the end product if you like of it being better you yes. know everybody's attention to the detail yeah um so yeah there's there's so much detail that goes into that with instrument choices and you know i'm constantly tuning i like to keep the floor time i two floor toms on the tour and I like to keep them pretty low you know the the second one is more for a lot of timpani kind of sounding stuff or real like gong drums right. and big fat things so I keep them quite low so I'm always tuning you know during the show between numbers and yeah um, yeah just trying to and really pay attention to the details I, ideally and ultimately you want it to be something that comes through as part of the overall picture of the show that you're contributing yeah. to but at, at at worst like it nobody is going to notice it but you but it serves to keep you engaged yeah exactly keep you sort of interested in the show yeah and like if if nobody gives a fuck about your maple stick yeah on the cross <laughs> stick if nothing else, just in your own head, in your little box, you're like, yeah, this stick sounds better. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're the only other person that knows about it now at this point. Right. But right. yeah, it is. That's that's really true. Yeah. yeah. So this this uh, show is at least another like year and a half. It sounds like. Um, yeah, I would think so. There's. It's kind of one of those juggernaut shows. It's going to keep going, kind of like Lion King or Phantom and things uh, like that. You the, know, the guy so. that I replaced on this show is on uh, Hamilton. Now. Yeah, there's another one. And yeah, and it's just it, it just goes. Yeah, yeah, I was shocked to find this out because you know. I don't I don't know much about this world beyond what I experience on my first tour here. Yeah. My tour uh you know builds in a break once in a while. Right, that's like we nice. We get a, a week layoff and yeah. the show is down and then we resume in another city. But I was like flabbergasted to learn that, you know, Hamilton and a bunch of other shows like there are no breaks. It just oh, yeah, fucking just goes go, and man. you're allowed to take a break if you want, but the show's going, you're yeah. taking a break. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, it just um, keeps going. Yeah. yeah, and I mean it's a blessing and a curse because like we, you know, we should all be so lucky to just have constant fucking work. That's the thing, for man. The next it's, year and a half. Yeah, but you got to balance it out. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find the balance. And uh, you know, another thing when we were talking about the sound guys, another part of that and about staying happy and mentally healthy on the road. 
I think it's really important the relationship between like drummer and MD. Yeah. You know, that's like a, that's a real big one because that's a make or break as to your musical happiness, your personal happiness. Yeah. So, you know, there's certain MDs I'd really love to work with. I'm working with my favorite MD right now. I do anything with this guy with Andrew Graham. He's mm -hmm. just a great MD. Um, and, you know, it's like any business, right? Even outside of the music business, it all, it's from the top down, you know? Yeah. If you've got the guy at the top who's got a healthy attitude, comes, you know, Andrew comes in every night, like, positive. It's it's never like, oh, God, we've got to do this thing again. You right, know? yeah. It's just like a positive attitude, like it's opening night. And that's that's what you want. That that infuses everybody else. You totally, know? totally. It all trickles down. Yeah. So. And having, uh, like, in addition to sort of the positivity, just like having a, a steady hand on the rudder. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, just a trustworthy personality that, like, is never too high, never too low. Uh, and also someone that trusts you. Yes. You know, because for sure. as a drummer, you know, you've got a very specific idea of where the feel is and where the time is. And, yeah. you know, <clears throat> and also he's going to or she is going to have a very specific idea about you know how this is relating to what's happening on stage <clears throat> so you've got to appreciate maybe there might be some push and pull at certain points you know yeah you've got to learn not to take that personally yeah you know um but then if it's someone who really trusts you then really you know the, you know a good md will let you get on with it right yeah. i mean why does he need to micromanage his drummer you know to get the right drummer and then you just, yeah, you do your thing. I trust you, you know. Right. And right. it's not like trying to just micromanage every grace note you, totally. you play. You I'm, know? I'm very spoiled in that way because yeah. I'm, I am a completely different player than the guy that I replaced. Yeah. And my approach to the whole show is completely different from a feel perspective, from a tonal perspective. Yeah. And both of our approaches work. Right. Both of our approaches serve the show, but we were fortunate enough to have an MD that recognized, okay, like this is this approach and there are benefits to it. And so, okay, new drummer comes in. I'm not going to make him be the old drummer. I'm going to let him be him. Yeah. And we're going to figure out what in this approach is good. Yeah. Um, and that, was, that wasn't an overnight thing. Like right. I'm sure you're aware like when you come in and replace someone, whether it's, you know, you're subbing or you're replacing them permanently, like for a little while, you kind of got to be a carbon copy of that person yeah. just so everybody can sort of get used to you and not have a completely different feel yeah. from one show to the next. But over time, I have just completely reshaped how the drums in this show sound. Like I'm still yeah. playing the same book, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been given the freedom to just sort of like make the book my own yeah. and have never really gotten a single note about style yeah about how i'm approaching it yeah because he's trusting you that you're not gonna do something that's you know like way out of left field right. that's you know just not musically appropriate yeah. you know he's trusting you enough but right. at the same time you can tweak the things where you think they need to be tweaked. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a great point like whether whether you're in you know a broadway show or a band like if if you don't feel like your boss trusts you <laughs> yeah whether your boss is an md conductor or a singer songwriter like if you don't feel like they trust you to an extent to just be yourself and play good music then that's a red flag yeah <laughs> yeah and nobody wants to go into work every night and just be like 
feel like you're playing with handcuffs on. For sure. You know, that's or like not you're not... playing out of fear, like you have to hit a bullseye or you're fired. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. It, that takes the musicality out of it for me yeah, somehow. Totally. And I, I do like to be given some, some leeway. You know, I feel we are playing music. We are all different human beings. You know, I enjoy it, like, when there's different people on different instruments. Sometimes we have these Rule 24 cities, yeah. you know, where you, you have to use local musicians like L.A. and mm -hmm. Chicago. And We were just in D.C. We had a great band there. You know, now they're different to the guys that are regularly playing it. But once again, Andrew on the stick, you know, he he allows them to, I mean, within... You know they're going to get notes if they go way out, but it's, it allows them to put their own little personality into it. You know, yeah, and that way you feel valued, right? You know? And then so. you're playing from a place of confidence. You're yeah. having fun. Yeah. You actually want to show up. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you know, and you know, we should all be—we're all professional musicians, right? So being given that leeway as well, you—you're uh, respectful with it. You know, yeah. you're not suddenly busting out inappropriate. You know, whatever your favorite lick is, you know, you're, you're playing within the, the genre, within the milieu. You right, know? right. Yeah. So have you given any thought to what comes after this or are you just sort of head down doing this game? Gosh, you know what? Well, you know, like I said, there's a couple of other productions of this that I think are in the in the works right now that I'd be really interested. It'd be the same show, but right. interested in moving on to. So when other you say other that, productions, do you mean like a permanent installation somewhere? Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's talk of them bringing it here to Vegas. Oh, cool. So which would be fantastic. Yeah. You know? So I don't know if that's any kind of, I don't think that's any kind of common knowledge right now. You know, they're always hush-hush about these things. But anyway, that's that's one of them. Um, so I'd be really interested in something like that, whereas, you know, I'd be able to be home. I'd yeah. be able to sub out. I'd be able to – that, that would be really uh, ideal. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I mean, I, I want to work on – I'm working on stuff with my wife right now. She's writing. She's a great singer. Yeah. Um, but, no, I don't I'm, – I'm really I'm really in the thick of it. With i got teenage kids, you know. So <laughs> at the moment, you know, I've spent so much of my time maybe, you know, selfishly just thinking of my next move, my yeah. what's next for Mark, what's the – you know, I'm always working on something new. And I, I must admit right now I'm kind of like I'm really grateful for this job. I really enjoy the people I work with. I love the music. I love the actual, you know, the, the playing, the show. So I'm I'm kind of I'm pretty content right now where I am in it. Contentment is yeah. something that we don't talk about enough because we we talk about ambition, we talk about yeah. hustle, we you know. But um, if if you're like if you're okay, if you're having fun, then I think it's it's okay to just sit there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you know, like my whole career, it's always even when you get the next big gig, you you're like three months in, you're like, well, what's the next big one? Right, you know? right. What's the next thing? You know, and I've bounced around a lot as well. You know, and sometimes that's I'd say ninety percent of the time that's been a good idea. Yeah, I've I've left tours and gone on to another gig. I've I've taken something that's better for my family. And now and again, it's not been a good idea, you know. Mm -hmm. Now and again, it's I've bounced onto something else that has immediately closed. Yeah. That's happened to me uh, a couple of times. I um, interviewed uh, Bill Stewart a few years ago, mm -hmm. and he's he's one of my all-time oh, favorite yeah. drummers, just one of my Mount Rushmore guys. Yeah. Um, and I asked him, like, you know, kind of a similar question, not not like what's the next gig going to be, but you know, is there is there 
a long-term goal that you've had that you haven't quite reached yet? Is there like a particular style that you want to get into or yeah. a particular artist you have always wanted to play with? Like what's kind of on the horizon for you? And he was, oh, yeah. he was just like, nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, really? He was, he was like, I, I love the people that I yeah. play with and, and I'm having a blast playing the music that I play. And, you know, I get to, I get to have a variety, but there's, he was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. There's, yeah. there's nothing on the horizon. Like what I'm doing now, what I have been doing, it's fucking great. <laughs> that's a, well, that's so nice to hear, right? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah. And I it's mean, just, it's and that was the first time I had really considered this this um, idea of just like contentment. Yeah, just relax. Like you don't have to be constantly hustling. You don't have to be constantly leveling up. Yeah. That's the general goal for everybody, but like you can get to a place where it's sustainable and you're good and you can just be yourself yeah. in one place. <laughs> yeah, and I try and remember and try and remember to be, you know, right in the moment and and you know, I always do this thing before I play or I sort of stretch and kind of acknowledge the drums, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I can be a bit of an old hippie like that <laughs> stuff. And, um, and just stay in it rather than kind of getting through it. You know, you can get to this place where you're like, oh, just get through this show and, and then I'll get on the phone and I'll be hustling so-and-so for something else. I don't know, that kind of thing is exhausting as well. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is just through experience, you know, these sh all shows end eventually mm -hmm. or you get burned out and you've got to move on. And so that time will come at some point and I don't even know what's going to be around right then, but there'll be something around, you right. know, and, and that, I'll be back that on time the phone. Will come. And you don't have to make it come. No, like, exactly. <laughs> and you keep, you know, putting good things out there, like trying to do some working with a couple of people, you know, generally for me right now, it's recording, doing something here at home or, you know, in little breaks from the show. You keep putting these little things out there to, to try and keep your musical soul alive. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to do that. Like I'm, I'm starting to sort of do some legwork to set myself up to have options yeah. after this is over. Yeah. Um, but I'm still very much in this show. Yeah. Like, like you yeah. said, every night you sit down and you're like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Let's do it again. And it's that's not that's not a, a pedantic like God, I have to do this again. It's like uh, uh, dial in. Yeah, like Buckle a workman like yes. kind of thing to it. As Punch well. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and whether it's playing a show on Broadway or touring or the Vegas thing in the casinos, I think there's something that certain personality types are drawn to. Yeah, that, like you go to work every night in a specific place. It's not the Wild West where you're just gigging, gigging, right, and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, no, I have a job yeah. that I physically go to and that I do every day. Yeah. Um, and that's that's rewarding and fulfilling to me, uh, not to everyone, I think. but Yeah, um, it is to me too. And, you know, another part of it, Zach, is like when you go into these things like we're both doing right now, there's a certain, there's a very high level. It's, right, the guys that you're playing with you're playing with great musicians, you know. It, it's just the sound is of you going in, you're hearing what you want to hear. You right, know? right. Everything's and great cast in. members. You've got great the talent voices. level on stage yeah. just fucking blows my mind every yeah. night. Yeah, and, and so all that stuff, I really like that. It gets you away from the gigging world where, you know, you might go out and you have a great gig, but there's always those ones, we've all got the stories, right? <laughs> where it's like, it's a nightmare, you know? Yeah. And, and you're, you're like, I don't, just don't want to be here. I can't hear myself or I can't hear the bass player or, you know, it's yeah. all just a crapshoot with everything. And it's I this, like knowing 
that it's good. Yes. <laughs> and it's the dichotomy of like, you know, you're you're sitting down to play this show for literally the 400th time. Yeah. On the one hand, but on the other hand like, look how fucking good it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And I hear, you know, I the people this is this particular show I'm doing is like you know, people standing up, people screaming, people are, you know, it's kind of it's a bit more like a pop gig in some ways, <laughs> yeah. you know. So yeah. You know, sometimes you have to remind yourself outside the booth, oh, you know, these people all, like, got a babysitter, spent $400, came out, they're yeah, excited, man. you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like to try and connect myself with that because sometimes you can forget, you know. Right, right. You're so into the minutia of what you're doing Definitely. yourself, you know. I, I, really, I really try to rem remember the, the audience aspect of it, but also the, the cast aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. Because if I'm not dialed in and, you know, playing my best, then the people on stage are fucking twisting in the wind. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I owe it to them. Like, they, they just lay it out every night. They That's run right. a fucking marathon every night night so i owe it to them to like show up yeah <laughs> yeah you know? um well man it was it was great talking to you it was great meeting you oh it's great talking to you too and Zach. whether whether you uh whether you go the distance with with this tour thing or or jump ship for something else just best of luck to you i know you're not gonna need it uh but um you're you're gonna i think you're gonna be just fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much Zach. it's been great talking to you man there you go, Mark Party. Thanks to him for that talk and for hosting in his studio in Vegas. As you heard, the Moulin Rouge tour is just going and going, so be on the lookout for it coming to your town. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Paul Ekberg, who is busy with sessions in Nashville and has also played live with Danielle Bradbury, Amy Grant, and Jars of Clay. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.